that was like getting into coaching at that level was uh, a little bit of, it was, I guess the not, it wasn't my undergrad was in no way preparing me for, to be a coach, especially mm -hmm. at like a collegiate mm -hmm. level, but it just kind of happened the way I, the timing worked out and I was able to get people, um, get people interested, excited about triathlon. And I felt like I was pretty knowledgeable. And so I really studied a lot of the sport and mm -hmm. I studied a lot, listened mm -hmm. to a lot of podcasts, listened, read a lot, um, listened to some of the great coaches. So I felt like I had a good knowledge and that I'd already obviously been there um, at a pretty high level. So I knew kind of what it took to get to that. And so that's why I think I kind of appealed to a lot of the, the athletes there. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre, skincare for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road, or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to soulpre.com. Today on the Smart Athlete Podcast, my guest is the current 25-29 Sprint Draft Legal Age Group National Champion. Let's see if you can get that all back on the replay. Yeah. He is a former pro triathlete, currently a USAT certified coach, and he's the head coach for the triathlon club at San Diego State University. Welcome to the show, Zach Kamner. How's it going, Jesse? Going pretty well. I, you probably got a lot better um, weather going on in San Diego right now than we have. We've had like rain ruining 4th of July. Oh, man. We were, <laughs> it's actually really, it's gorgeous today and it was nice yesterday. The, the, the past like two weeks, we've had some just overcast skies, bunch of like kind of light rain here and there. And it's been, it hasn't really hit the summer yet, but now today it's nice and sunny and gorgeous. See, I don't, I don't believe you. I just, I, I, in my head, San Diego is just nice all the time. There's never bad days. <laughs> and we've had a really wet winter. It's crazy. <laughs> Normally we don't. Normally we have the nice sunny, but yeah, this, this whole winter and spring has just been ugh, not great. So how does, um, with you know club racing like around here we've got a couple of the colleges that have clubs and they'll race what i refer to as the normal season basically summertime do you mm -hmm. guys have like in school right like an in-school tri-season or is it also just the summer no so we actually the west coast collegiate conference they we have a season it's more so in lines with like a traditional kind of track track and field season where we start okay. we have a couple kind of small races in the fall that count towards our ranking but by and large the bulk of the season that we have for collegiate club in especially in california um but it's probably like this all the west coast too is in uh basically january through april for nationals okay so it all kind of like takes place in that that first four months of the year so they jam pack probably six or seven races within that Within about See, two and a half, you can get away with it because you have all that beautiful weather yeah. <laughs> in San Diego. Yeah, most of the time, yeah. Although even like in January, you'll get we get a, we have a couple pool races, so mm -hmm. those are always fine. But you'll get like the cage in the downpour that'll that'll have to cancel the swim. Um, but by and large, it's it's all said and done. Yeah, it's like I'm in the middle of the country, so tri season doesn't start till May here. I have to travel if I want to go somewhere else, and even in May, there's been like. Water's too cold. We've got a this year they shortened to fifteen hundred down to six hundred meters for the race Gosh. in May because they're like, oh, water's too cold, and I'm like, oh, it's fifty it's eight. Yeah. It's fine, but <laughs> you kind of got to be safe, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but you definitely have to at some point. It, usually, we've had a couple of that that occasion 
that happened several times this year in particular. It's not normally like that where we've had, like I said, we've had a really wet winter. And so a lot of times in San Diego, the water quality gets really, really bad with runoff. So we had to cancel a couple swims. Um, so just fingers crossed. Or is it like, like any kind no, of it's just growth? Or? The water quality. Water okay. quality. The temperatures, I mean, it's cold, but it's rarely under 59 to 60 yeah. at that time of the year. So it's not too bad. So do your, I'll call them kids, but they're not, you know, that much younger. Do your kids no, also like continue to race? <laughs> do they what race in the summer? Do they continue to race in the summer as well? Yes. Yeah, a lot of them will. Um, a couple, most of them, state is in, is different because we actually have a lot of out of town kids, surprisingly, okay. um, that come in and race. And they're all like usually in parts of California, uh-huh. but they go home and I encourage them to race pretty regularly during the summer, but we have a small group of maybe like six athletes here during the summer that they'll race the local events um, and just kind of keep their training up. We have a small like summer training group that we just kind of keep and it's pretty light. So it's nothing really serious, just yeah. really focusing on like getting consistent miles in during the summer. Okay. And so, I mean, I don't know, I guess I'll say, I don't know anything about club racing since I was, I was on scholarship to run in college. So I'm kind of familiar with the regulations there, but do you like, I know with NCAA, there's only so many hours, like a coach can have contact with athletes and like that kind of stuff. Are you regulated like that? Or is it almost just whatever, wherever no. you want to go? No. So we're actually not, I believe they're, they're starting to actually, there's talk of more regulation with that, um, with the advent of more NCAA schools uh, joining in triathlon. But I think by and large, especially during the summer, we're not regulated to that extent, especially mm-hmm. considering most of our athletes are not going to be training with the team on campus. So where we kind of have a little bit of free reign, not that many of my athletes are going to be training even close to 20 hours during the summer. Um, yeah. And I think it's pretty, it's, that's a pretty big course, pretty big load for athletes to maintain at the collegiate level, unless you're training kind of really, really training full time, like the NCAA girls that that say like ASU that are probably training close to that 20 hour range. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I was training seven to nine hours, maybe a week in college and and maintaining classes. Like, I don't know if I could imagine trying to do 18 credit hours a semester and also training 20 hours a week, just bananas. Yeah. It's really having now even now like working as working a regular job on top of coaching um seeing the balance that the athletes have to have uh with their training and their schooling all kind of combined and triathlon is not like running i know a lot of runners and swimmers Mm -hmm. and it was basically you you had that designated time in the morning or maybe in the afternoon where you have that one practice maybe you run on your own Mm -hmm. you know in the morning if you're a double or whatever but Triathlon, it's, you know, getting a swim, a bike, a run in every day, for example, is, is a huge time commitment, especially for, for athletes that are just getting started in the sport. Because it's not, you know, you're not like getting a former, a former high school triathlete, usually. Usually right. athletes that all are going to be maybe they're former runners, former swimmers, maybe they're, and a lot of times they're people that have no experience in any of those sports. And so they'll be really having to balance now all of a sudden not only training for one sport we're training for two more on top of a course load as a freshman 
Mm-hmm. Far from home, it's a big, it's a big uh, shift. So a lot of the freshmen really kind of have to embrace that team aspect a lot with making sure that you're not pushing them too hard because the overall stress load is really high for those athletes. Yeah, big adjustments all around. I, you know, I, I think that not just doing three sports, but it's almost like the mental shift between, all right, I got to warm up, get this workout in, cool down, somehow recover mentally for the next workout and then do stuff in between. It, to me, it's almost more taxing on the mind sometimes than it is on the body. Like the body can keep up, but just mentally you're like, I'm tired of pushing. I just need to sit down for a minute. Yeah, definitely. And so it's important. I, I really try to, going back to like the summer, we really try to like keep it, the athletes that do stay and I give training. In the past, I've kind of given like really structured training to kind of mm-hmm. really get big fitness gains during the summer. But I found that a lot of athletes, they might get really into that for about three or four weeks and they start to really peter off with their just consistency just because they're they're so tired from already a full season mm-hmm. of training racing. And we're racing maybe probably every other week a lot of yeah. the season in the spring. Is it sprint distance or what, what, what distance that? are they what distance are they racing? Mostly sprint distance. We okay. race Olympic distance at our regional championship and the nationals. Obviously. Okay. Okay. So we're gearing towards the, the Olympic distance, but it's mostly sprint events, which are not incredibly taxing. But when you're doing a lot, basically one every other week, or sometimes yeah. every week we've had during the season, it can be pretty tiring, especially with travel. Um, and it's not we're traveling across the country, which is good, but it's having to sit in a car for four hours to go up to Santa Barbara or to Irvine or wherever we're going really kind of can take its toll. <laughs> and then having to come back to st- every, almost every athlete has to on Sunday afternoon drive back from race and then go and sit at four o'clock in the afternoon. And now they have to study for their test they have tomorrow mm. after spending the whole weekend traveling and racing. It's, so yeah, it's a big load. So I try to keep things really, really light in the summer um, with just kind of getting some skills and developed as well as just like general consistency in training. And there's so, no, I mean, there's no scholarship involved with. No. the club kids right so that's like it's it's not only is it there's no there's no like financial incentive for okay i've got to keep it up yeah. it's just it's in, entirely like self-imposed masochism to be like all right, i'm gonna do all of this <laughs> yeah it definitely is it's really i've talked because i i work closely with um a good friend of mine who is the associate head coach for the women's swim team at state mm-hmm. and uh, they train full on through the summer. You know, they're, they're getting up at 6 a.m. every day pretty much during the summer to go train and swim in the pool. Um, but obviously they're incentivized to, to keep that scholarship and to perform well, whereas everybody on my team will go home and kind of a few weeks rest, and then they come back in the fall. Hopefully they have a good base of fitness and they develop some skills. Mm-hmm. But there's really it's really very self-motivated. It has to be, like, within them. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll shift gears a little bit. So you're a, a former pro. Like we we're talking about before we kind of got going, you, you're only 26, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like pretty early to step down as a, as a pro considering, you know, typically endurance peak is 35 plus or minus five years. So, so what was, I mean, what's the decision to, to turn in the pro card and, and give it up? I mean, uh, I mean, 
it was more so a lot of it was a financial thing i kind mm -hmm. of so i turned pro um at 21 i just turned 21 okay and uh, i had been gunning for it through college uh racing pretty regularly um i went to school in colorado and so obviously i lived in boulder so i have the, the tri scene is really big there right and so i really was trying to push for getting that pro card i'd only been in the sport for maybe two and a half years but a big part of that was just being in that atmosphere of high performance mm -hmm. and just being around it's like man I, I i needed to i should do this while i'm while i can because mm -hmm. i might not get this opportunity um and so got that got the pro card at 21 uh started racing my plan was initially to go to um, the following year and race a lot of the back in this is 2014 or 2015 something like that they had the non-draft um, lifetime fitness series. Yeah, they're the non-draft Olympic series. That was my goal: was to race, start racing that, and maybe try and do some IT races on the side, mm -hmm. just because I do enjoy the draft legal racing. But by and large, that was going to be my bread and butter: was the non-draft Olympic for now, and then maybe progress to half Ironman later on. Mm -hmm. And within the first five months of me being pro they cut that whole series all the prize money and that whole opportunity kind of there's a really great article out there somewhere i can't remember who wrote it um about like how that that was a huge blow to pro triathletes yeah and developing athletes was when they cut that series because it kind of destroyed that pathway for young pros to move from the olympic non-draft to the 70.3 and iron man over the course of you know six or seven years yeah, because they're, they're two completely different disciplines, draft legal versus non-draft, and then especially when you Absolutely. go long distance, yeah. Yeah, so you kind of cut out that middle ground, um, and I had planned my whole season out to where, like, I'm going to race, you know, probably five times, five times in these events, and maybe do, you know, some of the local Claremont, or the local ITU events, like in Claremont, Sarasota, mm -hmm. um, but then that got scrubbed, and so I kind of was like, well, you know, I'm not really, I was, I wouldn't ever consider myself super talented. I just work really hard. Okay. So by and large, I was decent across all three sports to, to become a pro, but to really kind of make that next step, I really need to focus a lot more. And after college, I came back home and was have some big student loans to pay. So I kind of had to kind of swallow my pride a little bit take out and start working some normal jobs and try and see where that went. So I tried for about a year and a half to balance like a good job with racing pro. But at the high level for 70.3, you have to be 100% committed is what I found. You can't be half in and half out. You have yeah, to Yeah, really I mean ball. unless you're unless you're like a a genetic freak then you could do it. But if, if you're a genetic freak and you're doing well, you you could probably be all in anyway, so. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't I, I I guess I couldn't justify in my head the the biggest thing is I couldn't justify financially continuing down that path, at least right now, maybe yeah. in the future. Yeah, we'll see. But uh, I couldn't justify going down, continuing to go into the hole financially for uh, something that I wasn't probably going to make it incredibly far in. Mm -hmm. uh, so I decided to put that put that aside, and I had already been coaching a lot, and I found that I actually really enjoyed coaching a lot more than I did racing at that high level. I enjoyed racing and I love racing, but racing on the pro side is a whole different ball game. And I mm -hmm. found that just training consistently up to, you know, 20, 25 hours a week was really 
it's what you have to do to be good. And I found that over time, I just, I didn't, I love the racing, but I didn't quite love that high volume training all the time year round. Mm -hmm. It just takes it out of you and then trying to work on top of that. So it just became the decision to just kind of focus a little more on coaching and try and get like a real normal nine to five job that mm -hmm. I could do on top of that. So that's kind of how the pro career ended. Um, but I wouldn't, like I said, it wasn't much of a career. I didn't make a whole, any money off of it. <laughs> Well, that's okay. I, 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 like, I, I mean, we've had this conversation. So I talk, I've talked to a couple of different pros. Um, I, do you know Mike Meehan? I'm sorry? Do Mike you know Mike Meehan? Oh, it's, yeah, the collegiate. He's races collegiate now again. I've definitely seen his name at the like, Nationals. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I think he's still racing professionally, but maybe he had stepped down. Um, anyway, he, we kind of talked about like how various pros – make it financially and just how really there's only like the top 10% or whatever that make a living from racing. Yeah. So it's always like, you know, and you kind of illustrated the, the reality of it that it's like you need an income source outside of racing if you want to race, absolutely. but then that hampers your ability to race. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the catch 22. And yeah. so I just kind of, I, I didn't see, and I also I found my heart wasn't in 70.3 racing, yeah. um, which was just super long. You have to kind of really have a passion for that end of, it's a, I mean, it's almost like a completely different sport than the shorter mm -hmm. course, the short course racing, especially yeah, I, draft. I agree. So it wasn't quite what I liked doing uh, a lot. So I remember my first few pro races, um, they were enjoyable because you have your, your racing against my first half Ironman was uh in 2016 2017 when um uh, came to oceanside mm -hmm. so getting to be like getting to have that experience was great and it was a blast to actually get to race with guys like that and guys that are actually doing it at that level mm -hmm. um but you know three and a half hours into a race and you're suffering on the run and i kind of was like man this is i'm not really enjoying this a whole lot like <laughs> two or two hours ago it was fun for the first two hours but i just did, wasn't quite enjoying it like i used to at, at that long distance so i decided just to kind of step down and focus more on the coaching and then now with the advent of more age group draft legal racing i'm able to kind of continue doing that thankfully my the age group swim and run is not nearly as fast as the actual pros yeah. so i can actually be pretty not yet yeah yeah not yet not yet but it's it's good it's training in that direction but yeah. i can actually be somewhat competitive still in that stuff which i enjoy yeah what what did you do your undergrad in so i actually got my undergrad in uh aviation technology okay so i studied aviation yeah it's my background's kind of that's what i thought I, I thought i saw something yeah. about aviation but i wasn't i wasn't quite sure so th there was not a master plan for you to become a coach from undergrad no not at all no i was um i had kind of just by nature of i think being kind of fast and um the triathlon community in where i live now in chula vista is was at the time kind of really starting to blow up mm -hmm. and so there weren't a lot of really coaches san diego is known for triathlon but when people think of san diego they think of the Nice, the beachy side, the very on the coast, especially on triathlete for the triathletes, the North County um, triathlon scene. But the South Bay, where I live, further south of I eight, is uh, was very underdeveloped, and it was just starting to uh, to boom back in like the 
2010, 2011. And so there weren't a lot of coaches. And so people just kind of by nature, just when you're fast, people want to know how you got fast. And so they just kind of ask you for okay. advice. And I took, I kind of coached a couple people before I, while I was in college. And it wasn't till I spent, I came back for a year uh, to do some coursework at San Diego State that I got hooked up with the triathlon team mm-hmm. there. And uh, just kind of through circumstance and timing just fell into kind of volunteering coaching for the team there. Zach, I may have lost you. And then that, yeah. oh, sorry, I'm sorry. No, you're right. I just, you were talking and then you were gone. <laughs> you're good now. The, okay, <laughs> perfect. Um, but that was like getting into coaching at that level was uh, a little bit of, it was, I guess the not, it wasn't, my undergrad was in no way preparing me for, to be a coach, especially mm-hmm. at like a collegiate mm-hmm. level. But it just kind of happened the way I, the timing worked out, and I was able to get people um, get people interested, excited about triathlon. And I felt like I was pretty knowledgeable, and so I really studied a lot of the sport. And mm-hmm. I studied a lot, listened to a lot of podcasts, read a lot, um, listened to some of the great coaches. So I felt like I had a good knowledge, and then I'd already obviously been there um, at a pretty high level. So I knew kind of what it took to get to that. And so that's why I think I kind of appealed to a lot of the, the athletes there. Yeah. Well, to me, it seems like the best coaches, it, how they come about to this point varies, but it seems like not only do you know the, the physical side, like, okay, we need to do this kind of workout to, you know, work on your lactate threshold and we need to improve your max power doing this. And, you know, lots of coaches know that, but it seems like the best coaches to me have developed some way to have insights into what's happening with their athletes mentally. And oftentimes, at least in my opinion, it's, you know, people that have raced at a high level and dealt with like their own demons and figured out, okay, this is how we get past all these things that are kind of chomping in our minds um, to not go faster for whatever reason. Yeah. And that was something that I felt like I had talent in, but I had, because I had been there and I'd struggled through, you know, a fairly low end pro career and known that it's a lot more, a lot less glamorous than you kind of see like in, you know, people's Instagrams or in the magazines. There's a lot more that go, there's a lot that goes into that high performance. Um, and so young athletes tend a lot of times to get caught up in that and be like, oh, you know, I got to be doing all these workouts and this and that and just, you know, it's great for a few weeks and they kind of get burnt out mm-hmm. and their performance suffers. And so it takes a lot of kind of coaching to be like, you know, every session is just a piece of the puzzle and no one piece is greater than the one before it or after it. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind and trying to reinforce that in every athlete's head. This isn't, I'm really, my co- I coach really on consistency. So one session is not going to be, okay, this is our, key session if this doesn't work out you know we might as well kiss that race goodbye that race result it's more about let's just make sure we can do all these workouts for the next six to seven months and do them well and maybe we don't hit every single one but if we hit the vast majority of them we're probably going to be in a good spot compared to somebody that is relatively lackluster and then they hit that key session 
you know, four weeks out from a half Ironman or something. And then they go and perform and they just haven't quite built up that consistency and that mindset of mental toughness. Mm-hmm. So having that, that kind of confidence in just your repeated performances and workouts is really, really key for, especially for collegiate athletes. Cause they're so they're balancing so much that I've gone a lot more, I've gone away from a lot of those kind of like killer, you know, the big race simulation type workouts mm-hmm. to more just consistent, repeatable sessions that you, that will do day in and day out and just turning over the gears and grinding, you know, for weeks at a time is really what's going to yield the most success in endurance sports versus those kind of blow out of the park, uh, mega race simulation key workouts. So if you have like an athlete come in, that's like super exuberant. They're, you know, they've seen, um, they've seen lava, they've seen whatever triathlon magazine, Jan Fredo is on the cover and they're like, that that's what I want. They're, they're ready to go. How do you like rein that exuberance in, into the consistency that you're looking for? I think it's a lot of it is really, it's, that's pretty tough to, uh, <laughs> for a, especially athletes that are like eight, that are like 18 19 and they've maybe they have like a season under their belt and now they really they start to really kind of love the sport mm-hmm. and see what's going on and they're like man I'm really inspired I want to go do you know every everybody every triathlete has seen the the uh, Jan Ferdino and Tim Don videos on YouTube where they go out and work out four times a day and they probably train for like 10 hours and um, they see those work they see this like that's what I have to be doing to be a pro um, to compete at the highest level if they don't see you know the thousands of workouts that led up to that one yeah. session yeah. a day and so it I have it's comes down to kind of bringing them back down to earth so to speak and get them a little more excited about just the process of becoming faster and becoming better at triathlon um, versus you know, getting caught up in the hype, if I could put mm-hmm. it that way. Um, a lot of that, a lot of, like I said, a lot of young athletes fall into that. Um, but, and a lot of age group athletes tend to fall into that category as well, for that matter. But it takes, over time, they kind of, as long as they're kind of have confidence in my coaching, I'm able to kind of bring them back to that. Okay, we're going to do this workout, this workout this week. And maybe they're all going to be great. Maybe one will be bad. Maybe one will be good. Maybe they'll all be terrible, but I'm going to get through them. And I, no matter what happens, I'm going to get through that week. And I'm going to come out the other end mentally stronger. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm going to come out mentally stronger at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's trying to get your attention, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been so busy this week with work. It's... <laughs> so, so, um, what I was curious about, so you, you went to, uh, did you go to UC Boulder? Was that right for undergrad? No, so I actually went to a school called Metro State in Denver. Okay. So I studied aviation there, um, had goals of being an air traffic controller, um, and then started getting really into coaching, decided that after graduation, coming back to San Diego, that I wanted to kind of build something up on the coaching side um, while I was looking for a job, so built up the kind of a small coaching business with a friend and then kind of just through word of mouth was able to find and a a friend of mine was able to get me a job 
in finance while I was kind of, and I kind of initially was just making that as like, this will just be my, my uh, interim job while I look for something potentially in aviation and really okay. started doing the finance side of stuff. So now here I am a year and a half later in, in this, in a finance job where I coach on the side. <laughs> so that is a big, it was a pretty dramatic shift from where I initially thought I'd be five years ago. I mean, what, why leave finance? Finance pays well. I mean, is the, oh, no, is yeah. the allure of coaching, uh, you know, good? Yeah. yeah. Oh no, it's definitely, it was, um, keeping the finance, keeping, staying in finance is, is definitely kind of the goal now. And I do, I like, I really love San Diego. <laughs> you know, it's hard not to. So I really would like to stay here um, and continue the coaching and continue the world of finance job and hopefully just continue building up coaching if I can over time. I really want to one day potentially work for like the an NCAA level team. Um, if that's the horizon, if that comes to San Diego State or UCSD or some other school within a few years. Um, but right now I'm really just kind of enjoying life. I'm really busy, but, um, but by and large, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun just doing what I am now. Yeah. Just I, the reason I asked about Boulder, I guess I just got that messed up, but, uh, you know, if you're, in, if you got roots in San Diego, I'm just, my head is like, well, you're into triathlon. So why are you leaving San Diego to go to, go to Colorado? And like, there's enough triathletes. Yeah, like where you already are, you're like, no, I don't like sunshine. I'd rather have arid mountain yeah. air. I'm just trying to figure yeah. out like how that transpired. Yeah, so like, I really I went to a community college for a year and a half here in San Diego right when I graduated, um, and I wanted to go into aviation. And fortunately, they didn't have that here at any school in San Diego. Okay. Um, so that was a bit that was the number one factor initially, um, and I could have gone to probably two or three other schools, but. I was, okay, I could have gone to, you know, somewhere else in the country or could have gone to Colorado. And, well, Colorado is pretty good for triathlon. I was just getting into triathlon at that point, really kind of continuing to try to make that pro leap. And so I knew um, uh, a coach that I wanted to work with as well that was also in, in Boulder. I lived in Boulder for two years, um, but okay. I went to school in Denver. So I kind of commuted two days a week. Oh, okay. That's um, right. So that was kind of the, that's where the kind of confusion came. But um, the... Yeah, so if it was, if they had that, the program that I wanted to study here in San Diego, I would have definitely stayed, um, but didn't work out that way. But, and I was definitely happy for my time in Colorado. Um, it was, it was a blast. I learned a lot. I trained really hard um, and got really fit. Um, but in the end, definitely wanted to come back to San Diego for the sunshine and just the, the, the same reasons I'm still here. <laughs> well, it makes sense. Like I said, I was like, in my head, San Diego is just beautiful every day. So, and then I feel like stereotypes don't come from nowhere. So, oh, yeah. it's probably you know a kernel of truth there. Um, yeah, definitely. you pay for it though, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody wants it, so then the price yeah. goes up. And um, so, I mean, how how do you? Obviously, you're not doing anything with the aviation anymore, but like. You know, what gets you interested in that as a kid? What says, okay, like, I, I want to be, like, in air traffic control. Like, did you do, uh, also, like, an internship, but, like, did you shadow anybody? Like, how do you get, how do you even get started thinking about that? In high school, I got real, I wanted to be a pilot in high school. 
um, that was kind of my first, that was my first kind of love and passion was in aviation and, and wanting to be a pilot. Uh, so really, really, really hardcore pursued that through high school and into college. Wanted to go initially like the Air Force Academy, didn't get in. Um, and then just decided to continue studying aviation. Um, had talked with a lot of pilots at the time. So I actually flew, I learned to fly. This is a, I guess this is another little side note. I learned to fly before I learned how to drive, actually. Okay. So, uh, did, you, did you go through enough hours to get your pilot's license or? No, so I actually, I was in a program called the Civil Air Patrol when I was a teenager. And so they send uh, cadets to uh, like a flight academy. And you learn, you get, I think it's 10 or 12 hours of flight instruction on top of like ground school over like two weeks. And at the end, if you're, if you've trained well enough, you get to solo an aircraft. So that was, I did that when I was 16, went to, went to the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, uh, to do that. <laughs> so went out there, um, did that really fell in love with flying and wanted, that was what I wanted to do for a long time. Um, and still really want to get back into that as a, as a hobby and as like my personal passion. Um, but at the time, the economy wasn't really, really, really good for uh, pilots and the aviation and airline industry in general. So talking with a lot of people before I moved out to Denver was like, you know, this is this career is going to be really hectic and it's not going to pay well. And you're going to get really, really, really in debt to, to go pursue a career that probably pays you know, 35 to 40,000 starting as a pilot for a regional airline. Mm -hmm. So really just didn't quite, what kind of got kind of turned off by that a little bit um, with the actual commercial flying side. And so I decided to look into air traffic control and found out I did enjoy that um, a lot. But uh, that was a whole, that was a little bit still in aviation, but just a little different step. Um, but still, even now, I still want to go back at some point to aviation and um, and continue flying. But it, the price and the the costs, the barrier to entry is really really high. With yeah. even more, I mean, you, the theme of uh, really high expensive hobbies, triathlon <laughs> flying, <laughs> kind of just persisted. Um, so, but I kind of had to to make that decision to. You know, put that on off to the side because I still really enjoy flying, um, but I don't I haven't done much of it in the past couple of years. Okay. So that was kind of the start of that. Went into uh, went to Denver to study aviation and aircraft control, um, and then coming back home, still planning on getting a job in aviation. Fell into finance, and then all the while I'm doing triathlon. So that's kind <laughs> of the whole, the whole, uh, the whole timeline. From from sixteen to twenty six, <laughs> the short version of the last decade. Yeah. So I know, like, you've probably heard this before. People was like, I can't remember what the movie is, but there's some movie where maybe it's multiple movies where like you're on a flight and like the you know the pilot's knocked out for some reason and the stewardess comes back and says, "Can anybody fly this plane? Do you oh, yeah. every time you get on an, an airplane, are you like?" Is this the, like the daydream going through your head? Or like, I'm going to save this plane. I'm going to save this plane and be the hero. Like, do you think about that? I, I, I get asked that question all like my coworkers at work when they find out they're like, oh, so if like we were flying to some city, would you be in the pilot died? Would you be able to, to land the plane? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm going to be a hater. I'm going to say, I don't think you're capable just because those things, yeah. those cockpits are so crazy. I'm just asking if you, if you dream about it. 
<laughs> oh no, no. <laughs> I definitely don't dream about it. Um, I mean, flying an aircraft like that would be awesome, but yeah, that's just, yeah, that's. But you're definitely not the first person to ask me that question. <laughs> I got, I get that, I got that pretty regularly for the past few years. Even anybody finds out my my uh, background. There's special. There's something special about flying, man. We're we're land-based creatures. <laughs> we shouldn't be flying. No, somehow no. we are. Yeah, it's it's funny how that how it ends up kind of working out with with the people that I talk with. That's always, that's one of the first questions they ask is like, oh, you know, do you own your own plane? No, oh, but you could, could you land this airliner? Like, well, I could try, I, pro I think I could, I think I could. Like <laughs> I, could I know enough pilot. about the, what was that? So it was like assist from the autopilot to get you to the destination, yeah. then all you gotta do is land it. Yeah, nowadays planes are very, very automated. So I mean, yeah. and they're, they're not, the chances of that happening are really slim to begin with, but, um, yeah, exactly. In my head, I'm always like, I could do it, but you know, I'm just going to say, yeah, I think I could, I think I can maybe, maybe not in my head. I, I always tell myself, yeah, I got it. I got this. <laughs> well, I feel like in but, the scenario, in, I guess this is a bit morbid, but I'll go down this rabbit hole. Um, I mean, if the scenario came up where somehow you find yourself trying to land a commercial airliner, and you don't do it correctly, you're not going to know that you didn't do it correctly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's very true. Uh, so I might as well take my shot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, I mean, if, it's, if, it's, if it's between me and you, and yeah. who's going to try to land this thing, it's not going to be me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, yeah, it's a good point. But... Yeah, still, still got a really big passion for aviation. Um, just haven't done a lot of it recently, um, mm -hmm. but still, at some point, I'll be back in in the cockpit, hopefully flying pretty regularly, regularly again. Um, probably not commercially. I kind of really gone away from that that dream, um, just the way the nature of the industry. Mm -hmm. um, and now working in finance. My goal now is to work into like aviation finance, um, okay. like aircraft leasing and management. So that's kind of like the end goal career-wise now is to more into like aircraft leasing and uh, yeah, commercial. Yeah, like fractional ownership and yeah, yeah one of those kind of So I was like, that's the perfect <laughs> yeah, melding perfect of the Yeah. And I was, if, I can keep, if I keep coaching on the side, then I'm going to be living the, my best life. <laughs> nice. Uh, I mean, do you get like, do you get antsy? You see airplanes going overhead and you're like, need to be up there. Like, yeah. Circuit I, there, they, I work... Um, I work probably about, it's got to be only like three or four miles away from uh, Miramar, the Marine Corps Air Station, okay. where they shot Top Gun. Um, and so every day uh, we're in, I'm in this, this office. Um, it's not a cubicle, but I'm in, you know, an open concept office and I sit at my desk and every, you know, a couple times a day you hear the big, uh, the F-18s going by really loud and they shake the whole building. And I'm, it's always like, ah, yeah, that sounds like a blast. Um, but those guys are... Even the military is a whole different route as well. So yeah. having to, to go to war and defend the country and that, that's, that's even, that's a whole different level um, that at this point in my life, I think I'm, I'm past that um, and past going, I mean, the passion's still there and it's definitely, I'd rather be sitting in that, the cockpit of that jet than in this office, but I also would also really like to continue doing the triathlon 
stuff mm -hmm. on the side. And I know that like the military in particular, going overseas, being an active duty is a, is a, would not let me, allow me to do that very easily um, to continue the coaching. Obviously could continue coaching at the university. Right. So that's something that I really, that I really do have a passion um, for that to continue doing that. So if I can find a way to do all, all three of these, then I'm, I'm sitting pretty, but for now, I'll settle for the two. <laughs> That's fair. I think you said earlier you had applied to the Air Force Academy. I did. Yeah, I applied. I was I was decent academically in high school, but um, hindsight, I definitely was not at the level that the Air Force Academy needed okay. in terms of like a GPA. Um, but just and and if I wasn't going to be going to uh, a school like that on a, a full ride scholarship, I was going to be going to community college anyway. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't that big of a big of a blow, uh, not getting in because I knew I still wanted to pursue aviation. I'd find a way in somehow, and, and that ended up being Colorado. So yeah, I got to kind of really foster the triathlon side of my life, and yeah. still study the aviation stuff. So you have to you have to excuse me because I don't know anything about anything. I don't fly fly anything, but to me it seems like there's kind of a divide where like. People either want to learn how to fly a plane or they want to learn how to fly a helicopter. Do you have any desire to learn how to fly a helicopter? No, not really. I mean, it's, it would definitely be a, if someone offered me, like, we'll pay for you to learn how to fly a, a helicopter and now you could be a helicopter pilot. I definitely wouldn't say no to that. Um, but if I given the choice, I'm taking the, uh, the plane for sure. <laughs> oh, it's a whole different, um, it's a different experience. And I've yeah. only been on a helicopter a few times. Um, but it's, it's a very different, it's all obviously the same aerodynamic principles and whatnot, but the actual controls and, and the, the operational side of it is a little different. And I just didn't have as much of an interest in that. The hel hel helicopters only go so fast. I like to right. kind of going fast in, in okay. the air, uh, as well. So yeah, I just kind of, I definitely was more in the fixed wing side of, of uh, aviation for sure. So there's like... Like I said, it, just from the outside looking at it, it looks like there's kind of a divide. Like some people are obsessed with helicopters and other people are obsessed with planes. Like, have you seen like the two groups a little more close up? Do you do you notice like, oh, this kind of personality really likes this kind, of, you know, this or the, or is there is it yeah. less that? I think it's aviation is a very it's a very strong path if you kind of get that bug. It's a lot like triathlon, actually. You kind of, if you get that bug, it's really hard to kind of let it go, no matter what, whether that's in fixed wing, whether that's in the rotary helicopter stuff. I think it's really hard to kind of get out of that, and I think it's whatever you kind of fall into first. I have most people are going to fall into flying, you know, a plane because it is cheaper if you're mm -hmm. going to learn, um, way cheaper. But if you happen to be you know someone that maybe takes you on a helicopter ride, they have their helicopter pilot's license and they go and take you out and you might think that's the coolest thing ever. Maybe that's the path you go down to either way. They're both aviation, but they're just, it's just kind of a different side of things. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I think there's a lot of common ground. Um, I don't think there's any sort of rivalry, but, uh, there definitely is, uh, and I haven't seen a whole lot of, I guess no major difference in personalities. I've known helicopter pilots and, um, they're all tend to be kind of the same cut from the same cloth, I guess. Okay. Um, okay. At least in my experience, I don't know. I, then I also don't know a ton of helicopter pilots, so that's <laughs> that's good too. Well, you probably know more than I do, so that's that's why I ask. Because it's like in my head, I want to paint this like caricature of 
two different, you know, two different people. I'm always trying to figure out, you know, how do people get down the past that they get down, you know, like, yeah. How, where I am versus where you are versus somebody like, how do we even, you know, aside from, I'll say like the lottery of birth that puts yeah. us in different places. Yeah. You know, how, how do we each find our own way into these various places? Yeah. It's, it's a really, and my path in particular has been really, has gone a couple different directions that I did, especially, especially recently having gone into the finance side, um, just completely different path than where I thought it would go. And so it, I don't know if it's a personality thing. I think a lot of it is uh, a means to an end for me in terms of I, I do enjoy, obviously I, I'm not a big math guy, um, but in fact, I've never really ever enjoyed math. Um, and not that there's a ton of math involved in my job, but I work with numbers all day now. Yeah. And I'd never, you know, in a, 10 years ago, I never would have considered a career in finance. Like that was the, probably one of the last places <laughs> I expected myself to be. Um, and then just found my way into this and it turns out I actually kind of enjoy it. And it's, it's not fun per se, but it's, it's rewarding in its own, in its own unique way. And then to have the coaching side where I do like really working with people and mentoring people and mentoring, um, particularly like the college age group, the 18 to like 21 year old age group. Mm -hmm. I really found like working with that group. Um, they're very, they're old enough. I haven't worked with a lot of juniors, so I wouldn't, I don't have a lot of experience in that. Um, but they're very, at that point, especially in a collegiate club team, they're there because they want to be there. Mm -hmm. They don't want, they're not just, you know, they're not forced to be there. A lot of times, and I've been told this by uh, like an, my friend who coaches um, swim, swimmers in particular will come to a university on a scholarship and they get very burnt out. They're already yeah. burnt on running from high school and yeah. they get to college and they realize that they don't necessarily have that passion that they used to. And they might even be in a full ride scholarship and they'll quit the team just because they just can't do it anymore. They don't like it. Mm -hmm. um, and, but everybody that joins the team at SDSU wants to be there. Obviously, yeah. if they didn't want to be there, they're not going to be there. There's no incentive for them to be there. In fact, they're, they're paying you know, to get this weed because we don't offer any scholarships. They're paying for everything out of the pot, their own pocket. We get discounts, but by and large, they have to want to do it. They have to be willing to pay and put in the time and put in the effort to come to practice and to train hard and race hard. And that I like that kind of that's kind of athlete that I really like. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of juniors in particular, sometimes their folks are triathletes. So they kind of just fell into like, oh, I guess I'll be a triathlete. And then they get to be 16, 17. And there's not a whole lot of NCAA development yet, but I'm interested to see how that's going to go with yeah. um, athletes that were triathletes from when they were kids. Because that's such a rarity nowadays. Um, yeah. Hopefully that becomes less and less of a rarity, but that'll be interesting how that transitions. But I really enjoyed working with the, uh, that group. Um, and the club group is nice because you can, you don't have that pressure of, of high performance and really, really achieving, um, I guess, earning your keep for the school because you're giving out scholarships. Right. You kind of have less of that pressure. Um, and so you can kind of, you have a lot of freedom to create a pro to kind of trend the program in the direction that you want it to be. And yeah. so, yeah, so that with coaching in particular, it's just been, um, it's been great to have that kind of have that group of consistent young athletes that I can 
mentor and help achieve their dream, their goals, whether that's, you know, competing in the first triathlon, which a lot of them do on the mm -hmm. team, or that's maybe they want to go top 10 at nationals and I can help them do that too. So having a wide array of athletes in that age group from that are beginners to, you know, borderline elites, um, being able to train those and everything in between, being able to train all of that in one setting is really, really awesome. So I want to ask you a little bit of a kind of esoteric question. And I like to talk to coaches about this because, I mean, you see it firsthand and you, I mean, you have a, you know, a large impact on the, the athletes that you kind of, you know, have under your care. But I'm wondering if you have an idea or thought about what the purpose of sport is. It's a good question. I think for me, sport is, it's kind of, it's almost primal, if you put it that way, put it in, in a way. It's very, um, and competition in general, it's competition, uh, but it's also, and particularly with like, uh, in anything like uh, endurance sports where it's like a race, it's very, I, for me, when I started triathlon, what really appealed to me was the racing and the competition side. And, um, and that still is what drives me today is I, you know, I, I like obviously seeing my times get faster is, is cool, but I really liked having, being able to basically go and beat other people at, you know, something where it's a measured, we're all fighting the same in triathlon and endurance sports in general, everyone's going the same distance, mm -hmm. but who can do it the best? And so it was kind of almost, uh, almost like a, I guess, yeah, like I said, a very primal thing of like, I, I want to be the best at this. And uh, here's everyone gets the same course and you all have to go do it, but I want to be the first to the other end. And so having that kind of, I don't know if it's an instinct thing. And I think some people are very much in tune with that and others aren't so much. Mm -hmm. um, I know plenty of people that um, even in the sport triathlon that are not in any way competitive and they do it for because they enjoy training and they enjoy the social aspect and the lifestyle. Um, but I've always particularly enjoyed that competition. And so with sport, it's been really about proving, I don't know if it's proving yourself against everybody else, or a lot of times you go back and forth between that and proving something to yourself that you worked hard, you earned this, and now go, go prove it against the other people who also worked hard. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, I guess, it's kind of hard to a roundabout way to answer that question. Um, but I think it's, it comes back to that need to, to be, to be the best. That's what it is for me at least. Okay. I'm sure. And I think that definition obviously varies vastly from people that something that's fun versus something that I want to be the best. Yeah. I should know if you, you know, if you see variations, so like, say, say you're going you know, to call them kids, but they're not really kids. The kids yeah. are like, they're not, you know, they're not elite. They're not ever going to be anywhere near that, but they're still out there just like working their butt off. Like, you know, is there a different, do you, do you see a different motivation for them? Like what is there, are, are we like learning life lessons? Are we just getting in shape or we, you know, like what, what are we even out here doing? Yeah. I, I mean, I think you learn a lot, especially when you learn a lot about yourself. Um, a triathlon in particular is very, because it is so physically and mentally demanding, 
I'm not even just with racing, but with the training, um, especially, like I said earlier, with uh, kids having to balance their school life around the sport. Um, that plays such a big role in just like making sure that your priorities are straight and making sure that everything you, you're doing the best you can in the moment and whatever it is. And some people have the motivation that they just maybe they they want to better themselves and it's very internal mm -hmm. um, and they don't care if they're last place. They just want to go and finish that race. And I've had athletes that are like that. They want to do, you know, they're 18 years old and by the time they graduate, they want to do an Ironman. Mm -hmm. um, I've had several athletes that want to do that um, at some point. And they, you know, that's like, hey, you're going to do sprints one year, the Olympics the next year, half Ironman, and then the Ironman their senior year or something. And that's 100% internal. They don't want to go and they don't really care about being competitive. They just want to go and finish that. Mm -hmm. And so if they can go and finish that um, and cross that off their list, I've done my job as a coach, um, even though maybe I thought that they should focus on this or that. Um, because that's kind of my, my own personal goals for the team. But if they want to do this, I'm going to help them along the way any way I can. So it, I think there's so many different motivations for, for people and athletes in particular. They're just, especially with mass participation sports, um, because there's not a huge, and we're for, I'm fortunate that I have a team environment to work with. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of co like my own private kind of practice coaching, um, with, athletes that are, you know, in their mid, you know, mid thirties, late forties, um, and up, they, uh, they tend to be a lot more intrinsically motivated versus right. I'm going to do this because my team, my friend's doing it. I didn't do this cause, and maybe their motivations change, but a lot of times the, uh, the older athletes are very much, I want to go and finish an Ironman. I want to go and, um, you know, maybe get this PR, maybe I want to race this race. I want to do Alcatraz or I want to do go to 70.3 worlds or whatever it is, or maybe I wouldn't want to go pro, um, but they're very, a lot more intrinsically motivated versus my younger athletes can get a lot more external motivation from teammates and from just being around a lot more athletes that are similar to yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a yeah. lot of, yeah, it's just, it's kind of interesting to see the progression from like younger athletes to older athletes and the, and the people that stay with it. I mean, I recently saw a lot of my, college teammates and my college coaches and uh I, I almost felt bad like like i was doing something wrong it, it was just this weird experience where so many people kept being like oh do you still do triathlon like when you can get to it and i just want to be like no like i'm still training more hours than i was in college and i'm still trying to be better than i was and like i'm still after it here eight years after graduate yeah. graduation whereas a lot yeah. of them are kind of settling into life and having kids and getting married and you know just kind of compartmentalizing things down so yeah i still like it's definitely interesting to see who makes that transition why and like you know where does that you know, post-college career basically stopped for so many people. Yeah. And, and triathlon in particular, I've seen that. Um, and that I've had, it's, it, it's interesting, actually, I should do a follow-up one of these days and just go back to a lot of prior athletes and kind of just see where they're at mm -hmm. and maybe how they benefit from the team, how they benefit, how triathlon has benefited their life. I would say of the ones that I know, I'd say only about half of them ever do a triathlon. 
after college. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ones that do, I think almost every single one of the athletes on my team that has done triathlon in college, they even if they don't do it seriously in terms of they they're never going to train ten to fifteen hours a week again and mm-hmm. ever for anything. Um, almost every single one of them will still do some sort of races, whether that's a 5k on the 4th of July, whether that's going and um, maybe you're trying to run a marathon in five years or trying to go, you know, by, by the time they're in their thirties, they're, they want to do an Ironman again. As long as they came out of that program and they had, they developed some sort of a love for the sport and some in being active and being healthy. That's also a big benefit that I've tried to, I feel like, having done my job as a coach for that four years, mm-hmm. that's something, if nothing else, they still have that, that wanting to live, lead a healthy lifestyle. That's, that's a part of it too. Um, but yeah, I've, it's interesting to, I'd be really interesting to go back and see what a lot of these athletes are up to nowadays in terms of sport. Cause a lot of them do, you know, post-grad, they don't really do much of it anymore. And just by nature of having, I, having now working, you know, 40, 40 to 55 hours a week, having a full-time job, it gets really, really hard to, to, to continue to really want to do this, um, on limited time, especially mm-hmm. when you have a fan. I'm sure. It's, I give the utmost, the utmost respect for guys that are working crazy hours and are still going, you know, trying to go to like 70.3 worlds or go to Kona on yeah. like 10 to 12 hours of training. Utmost respect for those guys, those age groupers, because they, they're the, unlike the pros, they're, fitting in training, just like my student athletes, they're fitting in training on top of everything else in their life, family life and work life, all in one where the pros don't have it easy in that way, but they don't, all they have to focus on is training. Yeah, their only mental focus is training. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you do a follow-up with uh, your athletes and kind of figure out with the people that are doing it and like why they're doing it, I'd love to like collect that stuff and maybe like put it up on the website or something like do like a little article with everybody yeah. blurbs from everybody. That would be really cool. Yeah, I definitely, that's something that I haven't done. Cause I've only been, um, coaching the team for about four years. So mm-hmm. I've just this last yeah, just year, gotten the full cycle through. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm really interested to see the fret there. Only a few of them are retention, um, for athletes tends to be pretty good, but we, a lot of times we'll start off in terms of recruiting. We will start off with maybe, 35, 40 people signing up for the team in the fall. And then by the time the fall's over, we have maybe 20, 25. Mm-hmm. And then of those 20 to 25, um, it gets whittled down to probably 10 to maybe 10 to 20 like core members. Yeah. yeah. Um, and people come in and out um, throughout the, the spring. But those usually 10, 10 to 12 that actually are going to stay the next year tend to go all four years in my experience. Okay. So it'll be interesting now that I, can, I have a full cycle, I can kind of see, I'll ask my, the people that I started coaching as freshmen who just graduated um, at the end of the, uh, in May, what they're, what they're going to be doing, what their plans are. And as, as far as I know, there's a lot of them are still training for something. Yeah. Um, I don't know what, but the most of them are usually, a lot of times I get a lot of ex runners. And so they always go back into running yeah. <laughs> as they do. Um, there's always a temptation. So, uh, I even now I like, I'm probably a better triathlete than I was a runner, but like, there's still the temptation of like, uh, maybe I can go back and try to have a new PR 5k or something like, cause yeah. I was like, I loved running the 5k. I'm like, do I really want to do that? I don't know. Yeah. 
yeah, that's a whole that's a whole commitment into a different to distance into the to that kind of training and it's I had to let I had to tell myself and have to do it now even that I'm never gonna be as fat like there's no way I'm gonna be as fast as I was when I was training basically full time mm-hmm. and I have to let that dream go that I'm gonna be able to run you know under 16 minutes off the bike like I'm not gonna be able to probably ever do that yeah um, unless I start really really training hard again um, and so yeah with that following up with athletes will definitely be something that I I look into that's a really good idea I should do that so. Yeah, yeah like getting, getting those, you know, like, life perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that'd be valuable. We're uh, running a little out of time here. So I'll ask you the question I ask everybody. Um, if you could sure. only choose one food for recovery to eat for the rest of your life, what do you choose? One food for recovery. <sighs> After every race, I'm, what was that? I was gonna say I'm hoping for some like pro secrets here. Like, you guys eat, you know, eat oh, like no. a weird Definitely. fruit you can only find on an island. So I've I've always after um, after races I always crave like a big protein shake, um, like just like with a bunch of bananas and like protein powder and, uh-huh. and stuff, uh, but. That was what I used to crave, and now, as of lately, I've really, really wanted um, like a big fat hamburger, like a cheeseburger, right after a race. Okay. So I'll, that'll be like my. It's not like my. Go- it, I don't usually give into that temptation, um, but I really enjoy like a big, like juicy cheeseburger or something, or some sort of like really greasy breakfast food um, after like a race. And the nice thing about racing sprints is that you can race them so often that. It basically becomes you work you a really hard workout followed by brunch for me. <laughs> so uh, something related to breakfast food um, or a big fat cheeseburger. That was what I wanted after all of my half Ironmans. It was a cheeseburger. So it's definitely I think not, that obviously a healthy deserve. So it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't feel I, don't, I haven't given to that temptation a whole lot for the sprints, but I definitely did for the half Ironmans. <laughs> Um, Zach, if people want to follow you, kind of see what you're up to, where where can they find you? So um, I'm not incredibly active a lot anymore. I do post stories on my Instagram, and it's at Zachletic, Z-A-C-K-L-E-T-I-C, um, like athletic but with a Zach. Yeah. Um, and then and I have a website, sbmultisport.org. is my private coaching if you're interested in, in um a client one-on-one client coaching i do remote coaching and i have athletes here in san diego that i coach as well um and also if you're in san diego and you're um looking to and you're between the ages of say 16 and 18 and you're <laughs> thinking about going to so- somewhere for school i'd love to talk with you about going to san diego state university for the tri team i can't give you any scholarships but i would love to <laughs> talk with you yeah. about doing getting triathlon that sounds good. Thanks for coming on today and sharing your time with us. Yeah, no problem. I'm glad to be here.